everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Luck, and I'm along with my co-worker Jordan Bianchi, who is live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where he just saw a, a blank show of a race, I guess you could say, and at least in my opinion, we'll talk about that. I am fresh back to my home in Denver from the Knoxville Nationals. Been a busy weekend week for both of us, Jordan, but it's uh, it's good to see your face after, um, uh, I guess, some craziness there. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm well. Uh, I thought today was eventful. I think that's fair to say. Um, I, this race, I think you have to divide it up into two parts. You have to divide. The first part consists of everything that happened from lap one until there was about five laps remaining. And then the second part consists of everything that happened after five to go, you know, five laps and regulation left when you had two red flags, chaos, Danny Hamlin spinning out, Chase Briscoe not realizing he was penalized and taking Hamlin out and the surprise winner in AJ Allmendinger. So lots to discuss. Let's get to it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, first of all. And, you know, I even tweeted in the, the you know, sort of at the end of the stage, second stage, I was like, man, this is really good so far. And I was kind of changing my mind on like, hey, I could see why this was, you know, this is a good move to, to be there instead of the oval. And, you know, it was sort of redeeming that decision or validating that decision. And I I've, I felt good about it. Then in, in the third stage, you know, like you said, Larson, I mean, he was kind of stinking up the show. He was going to win the race. But I still think that would have been a good story in itself, just given that he had just come off Knoxville and like it would have spoken more, even more to like his greatness right now um, of his unbelievable talent, just being able to hop in anything and win and um, just on so little sleep. I mean, I'm tired right now. He got less sleep than I did, I think. And, (laughs) you know, he was going out there and whooping up a NASCAR field. Um, So, you know, that would have been a story. And then it got so crazy. I mean, I don't know where to start here. Like, I guess the thing with the curbs sort of bothers me in this sense. Like, I listened to Doug Bowles even on on Sirius XM um, on Claire B. Lang's show after the race. And, you know, I, I listened to his comments that he gave to you guys along with Scott Miller, um, I, I, I guess at the hauler. And so I understand that those curbs had never had a problem before and they hadn't, you know, hadn't had any problems all weekend and stuff. But... So I, I guess I don't really blame the track in that sense for the curbs because if they've never had any problems or reliability issues, then that's fine. But to me, I guess my problem comes in where NASCAR throws a caution for debris that was kind of off the track with 10 laps to go with Larson leading, right? Like it was in that area, but it was it was out of the groove. And then like they restart the race, Truex comes through there and you can see like, in, in that incident, right before he spun, there's like stuff flying everywhere. Debris flying everywhere. <laughs> it looked like a pinata. Like it was crazy. And they don't stop the race. They let it go green. And then the next lap under green is where everybody comes through and completely annihilates their cars. Like going over spike strips in a parking lot, like at full speed, just destroying their cars. Logano, Byron. I mean, Suar. I mean, just ridiculous like how how does that get to the point where that happens and so i guess that that's my first point of frustration is with nascar race control because it's been a tough year for them like new hampshire rain um coda rain um some of the bristol dirt stuff questionable the truck stopped at 
Charlotte, what they didn't see, didn't go, you know, and and it caused a collision. Um, the flag person at um, Knoxville, the heat race, yep. throwing the flag too early in heat. Like, there's been a lot of stuff. That's, safety trucks on the track, on a hot happened track. Happened today. Yeah. Like, th- this has not been a good year overall for like NASCAR race control. I feel like, and you know, obviously it's it's individual circumstances and things happen, but that should it shouldn't be happening so often that we can like name instances like this and. You know, I just, I was just like, man, what is going on? Like, this is just not a good look. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to start off taking <laughs> so much time there, but go ahead. No, I, I don't disagree. I think if you come down to it, there has been some inconsistencies with NASCAR race control this year. Um, even go back to Road America, we had some extended yellow flags that were excessive. And you're, you're wondering what, you know, we got to kind of speed up the process a little bit. It has been an issue throughout the year. There, There isn't a consistency on what is yellow and what isn't yellow. And, and today's a great point of that. I thought up until the last five laps or so, I thought today was fantastic. And I thought it validated the decision to move it off the oval and put it on a road course. The energy and the excitement here was, was noticeable. People were into it. The racing was significantly better. I, I'm sorry. I don't know how you can't watch the first part of that first three fourths of that three first ninety percent of that race and not think that that was better than most Brickyard four hundreds because it was. I mean the Brickyard four hundreds. But did it feel? I, I agree with that. Did it feel big to you? No. I, well, it, 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 so I think that's a, a complicated question. Did it feel like a NASCAR major? No, because it's not. It, that takes time to build up. Did it feel special being here? Yes. There was energy in the air. The the IndyCar week, IndyCar was here. It made it a big weekend. That made it feel special. So it was a different kind of special. Okay. So you, you know, you asked Scott Miller and Doug Bowles afterwards. Uh, does what happened affect anything about coming back to the road course next year? And mm-hmm. they both said no. And they're yeah. pretty committed to doing the road course again. So it's going to happen again. Is yeah, that the I right mean, decision? Do you, you yeah, support I mean, that decision? I support the decision because I think it's a better race. And NASCAR needs better racetracks. These racetracks that have put on consistently good racing, you're not going to get that on the old. I, I understand, you know, it just not. It, it hasn't happened for how many years? And more often than not. So I talked to Doug Bowles yesterday for a story in The Athletic, which you'll see in a couple of days or so. I'm not sure yet when. Um, and, and he said it was 99% certain that, the, the, the road course was going to happen. And then you could, you could hear the comments and you can read those shortly here um, on the athletic. There's every reason to think that this is going to continue. Um, and this is what they want. They're excited. They like this double header concept there. There's energy in the air here. It, it, the ticket sales are up. So by every metric, it, this, this checked all the boxes. So I, I just don't see how you cannot. Now the issues with the racetrack need to be addressed. What happened today on that, the chicane there that you can't have, I, I don't know what the solution is. Um, I, I thought Scott Miller made an interesting point where um, when they decided to come here last year, NASCAR did. The driver said that they needed a chicane there to kind of you know lower the speeds a little bit because going into turn seven was just too quick. And there's not a lot of area over there. It's grass, there's guardrails. So you have to do something to address that chicane area and, and make it safer. You can't have happen what happened today. I don't know what that solution is, but to me, this seems, it doesn't seem like an overly complicated fix. I mean, you, you fix that. This was a good race. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I could see that. And, and if they are able to address that successfully, that's fine. 
but I'd really, really, really want the reassurance that that's been taken care of, whether it's, you know, simulation on iRacing or, you know, different curbing that's been tested or something, because even after they took that curbing away, you know, everybody's going, wait, they're going to leave the jump there. Like that's been causing problems. <laughs> yeah. They left that there. And then everybody's like, well, I hope nobody hits that. Cause if somebody hits that. That's going to be big, but somebody's probably going to hit it. And the very immediately again, somebody flies right over it. But then Scott Miller said after the race, well, the feedback we got is that we need that there. I mean, I, I, I just stop. It's tough. I mean, what it, to me, this goes back to almost Bristol dirt. When, when they were building the Bristol dirt track, they had to bring in Kyle Larson and Ricky Stenhouse. And I think Austin Dillon was in that group to kind of serve as consultants because they didn't have the expertise. It, it almost kind of feels that similar situation where you have to bring in somebody who's got familiarity with road course racing and, and tracks and say, okay, eh, yeah, we want to have track limits and we want to have, you know, some kind of s- structure there to prevent drivers from going on this part of the track. But this can't be this for this reason. Is, does that make sense? It does make sense. It's just that why is this? Okay. So Bristol Dirt, there was, you know, sort of a, a clown show element to a little bit of it. I guess it turned out people liked it. Coda, the clown show element in the rain. Like people were very upset about how that went, right? New Hampshire, which we've said is the best race of the year, started off real bad with that. Now that wasn't a new track, but, um, so I guess I shouldn't group this group that in the same as this, but you get to these new events and they keep saying, okay, we're going to learn from this or we won't do that again, or we'll listen to the drivers next time or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Like, why does it seem that every week there has to be something to be learned after something embarrassing happens? Like this is the premier stock car series in the United States. And I'm, I feel it shouldn't be cringeworthy all the time to be like, oh gosh, another only in NASCAR moment. Like, and, and I, and at the same time, I see people on Twitter, like Clint Boyer, I saw his tweet afterwards, like, this is the kind of race we needed today because it's going to get people talking. I was like, Clint, no, this is not the kind, like, you, you have these great drivers and teams who invest so much time and their lives and careers and trying to be the best they can be and going out there and, and building these incredible machines and competing at a high level. And you put them in these clownish situations that are like, like, I just don't like, why does this keep happening? I just, whether it's like, it's some, like, I appreciate the, okay, we'll get this right next time. We'll learn from this, all that stuff. But why there seems to be a lot that needs to be learned going on. And it's just, it today bothered me, man. Like I just, I did not, I didn't come away with this feeling good about what I saw today overall. I understand that sentiment. And I think when you look at everything that's happened this year, the, the list of races where you've had issues and there have been issues that probably shouldn't have happened. And instead of having to go back and correct them afterwards, you want a little bit more forward thinking. Now you're never going to have everything. You're never going to fix solve everything. But I, I do to your point. I mean, this this was an issue in the Xfinity race yesterday with the curbing in that area. There was a little bit different situation, but still that section of the track, this felt like something that should have been addressed before. And I think it also goes back to is when you're going to have these new venues, whether it's Coda or Road America or, you know, wherever Cup is going for the first time, Bristol Dirt, you probably need long elongated practice sessions. Just having one 50-minute practice session 
is not going to be sufficed. Go back to the first Robo race in 2018. Remember that? That that first practice session was just a mess. Guys were crashing in the backstretch like crazy. NASCAR, to its credit, figured it out, right? And they said, okay, we got to adjust some things here. And that largely kind of solved the problem. And now I, I think if you had a longer practice session, longer than 50 minutes, you probably would have saw this kind of happening because guys were talking about it and this could have been addressed beforehand. So that to me is one area where maybe if you're, as you, as you're looking at expanding the schedule and looking at different venues and stuff, this is something that you're going to have to do because you, you have to, you have to have cars on the, you have to have actual cars on an actual track to test real world situations to see what happens. So after all that, um, they get the, they decide to, you know, restart the race in overtime. It gets moved to NBCSN, which caused a lot of people for, for amateur golf. That's that, you know, a lot of people miss the end on their DVR or the people that don't have cable, you know, they invested all this time in watching this and sticking through two red flags only to have it moved. You know, that's not NASCAR's fault, but that's another really unfortunate thing that happened there um, about this race that, that gets attached to this race, fair or not. They go into overtime and, um, you know, Larson, obviously his, his chance goes away to win. It's coming down to um, Denny or, or Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe goes through the grass and like, it seemed so incredibly obvious to everyone at home, at least watching. I don't know how it was, you know, if they had the broadcast playing in the media center or something, but it was like, okay, well he went through the grass, so he's going to get a penalty even though he blended back out. Like they're not going to just let him stay there. And somehow he doesn't, he, at least he said afterwards, he didn't think that was the case. He seemed to think he was racing Denny for the win there. Denny of course, immediately knew that Briscoe was going to be penalized and that he was basically a no longer a relevant car in the race at all. And so Briscoe dumps the race leader, like <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable, like that, that happened. And, and then, you know, you're thinking, well, surely, um, Denny is going to go down, down there and punch him in the face. Oh yeah. I was waiting down there for it. I, I mean, like, I, I was like, oh, here it comes. I mean, he just cost Denny his first win of the year, like a pretty blatant takeout, looked like retaliation or just like regular a, season championship possibly too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, huge impact on that. Um, and for nothing, since he was a penalized car, Denny somehow handles it super calmly and just like, well, yeah, yeah I guess lack of situational awareness. Um, oh, man. I was like, I, Chase Briscoe, I don't know, like kind of felt like he got away with one a little bit there. Um, uh, then it comes out way later that, you know, cause he had a stop and go penalty, but then it comes out way later. Bob Pockers noticed on the rundown that it's that it said NASCAR parked him. Did you ever have any indication that NASCAR decided they were parking chase Briscoe until that point? I never heard on the officials channel anything. I had no idea that they decided to park Briscoe for, and, and they said it was for the contact with Hamlin. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, the rule says though, is that a penalized car or, or a penalized car or a lap car. I mean, you can be, if you take out somebody, it's open their officials discretion on how you want to handle it. And that's where the door opens on this is that Briscoe was penalized. They NASCAR says they communicated to Briscoe's team that he had been penalized. 
And for some reason, that wasn't communicated to the driver. NASCAR says it's going to look into it. So NASCAR says they told him he was being penalized. He disobeyed. He was being penalized for the stop and go, though. Yeah, and he but did. They're, but they're saying they parked him. Yeah, and he didn't do that, though. And he did stop. So, he did stop. He, he stopped did. in like, well, he didn't stop before he made contact with Denny, but he stopped at like in like turn 10 or whatever. But that's not where you're supposed to do that. And he didn't serve the penalty in the proper way. I mean, they're, they're, they're you and the driver's meeting, they go through. Like, if you go through this corner, if, if you blow this corner, you have to stop here, here, here. And uh, I they, the question is, and I don't know the answer to this, when they say stop and go, do they mean stop and go penalty on pit road? Or do they mean stop on the track? But either way, they're saying now, according to Bob, that the reason they parked him was for the contact with Hamlin, not yeah, because for disobeying the stop and go penalty. Yeah, and I understand because he he, he crashed Hamlin as he had was under penalty. That is something that you cannot do. It's in the rule. I mean, it's it's pretty black and white. You cannot do that, and it's up to the official's discretion. I I, I still don't see the issue with that. But, uh, no, I I'm not arguing that penalty. I'm saying, did you ever? They they never said that on the broadcast. Chase Briscoe's been parked. I never heard over the officials channel. The 14 car has been parked, or like whatever. Like take it, like the race ended. He ended up finishing a lap down. Like I never, I didn't yeah, realize I, I, until like an hour after the race that they had decided yeah. to do this. I mean, was I, I it, can't, I I can't explain why NBC didn't mention it. I don't know. I mean, I, I, so that, you you were aware of that? That was I aware that he was penalized. No, that he was parked, not not the stop and go, but like parked. I, when I saw that he was parked, I wasn't surprised. It made sense to me why it happened. Okay, well, I'm not really getting an answer here, but um, I guess I don't see that. I, I guess I don't see the issue. I mean, I, I don't. I am wondering when NASCAR decided this. It was never announced. It just showed up later, parked. I I, I don't know. I just I was confused by this because normally if somebody gets parked, they go. On the official channel, they say, okay, 14 car, take it to the garage or whatever. You're done for the day. Or they decide after the, you know, I know it was close to the end of the race. So they could have just said, okay, you're, you're now the last car in your lap, but that's not the case in the rundown. He's not the last car in his lap. So I, yeah, I just, I, I never, you know, the broadcast never said, and Chase Briscoe has been penalized. I just never heard about this until I'm scrolling Twitter way after. And they're like, they just, cause I didn't think there was a penalty. I didn't think they had penalized him at all. Like that whole conversation they're having, I'm like, wow, he got away with one. He wasn't penalized for wrecking oh. Denny or anything like that. Okay, I see. I, I, to me, I don't know. I guess to me, it's a question for NASCAR when the the order of procedure was. Uh, I wasn't yeah, surprised. Anyway, um, AJ Allmendinger. <laughs> uh, well, for, uh, first of all, before we move on from this, did you buy Briscoe's explanation? Uh, it depends. I don't know. I mean, he's not a dirty driver. He's not really somebody who does that kind of thing so it seems like there may have been some disconnect or confusion about whether he served his penalty or not in the proper manner or whether that was even communicated to him or not that he had a penalty coming well it, it i think it's going to come out either way they'll have the timing yeah. on you know the timestamps on that kind of audio stuff and it'll show up on race hub or whatever you know what i mean like on radioactive yeah one way or the other, like it'll, it'll, if, if he, if it was communicated to him, it'll come out. Um, it, it's kind of hard to believe his team wouldn't tell him, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I it think might have been one of those. Yeah. It might've been one of those things too. We, we see this often in situations like this late races where a guy commits a penalty and they basically, and the team basically says, 
we're not gonna we're just gonna force NASCAR's hand here and we're just gonna go on and carry on like nothing happened. Well then your and, guy just took out the leader in I mean, yeah, but their, their thinking good. is their their thinking is though is it, we're hoping that NASCAR is going to call us for a penalty. In that case, we're going to act like we're still running in second place, and we're going to go for the win. And then if it comes out later that it's not, well, then the hell with it. We'll just deal with the ramifications. Yeah, no, and, and I'm just to be clear, I'm glad he that NASCAR technically says that he was parked because you should not be able to take out the leader of a race like that without some sort of consequence, especially not going for the win anymore. Like he was, he becomes, even though he's running in the second position at that time, he immediately becomes like a 20th place car. You know what I mean? Like it's, he's no longer factoring into the race, no matter what happens. So to affect the race that way and in the regular season championship. um, Now, obviously he seems to, he claims that he thinks he was going for the win there and not that he wasn't, you know, retaliating or whatever, but you know, he had just gotten moved off the track. So it would have made sense if he was, trying to rough him up, but I mean, it, it was on a straightaway too, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how he could be angry. I mean, you're going into turn one, you know, what turn one going into any road course is like, you're going three, four wide guys are banging into each other. Contact is going to happen. It, it's really hard not to expect to be in that situation. I don't understand if you're Briscoe though, too, is like you just cut through the course and you pull out ahead of the leaders. Like, like maybe he, the moment those kind of things happen, how do you not register? Wait a second here. I, I probably should slow down, give back those positions. And that would have been an interesting thing is, is if he gives back the positions, does he, does he not get black like them? That's true. Like if he had slowed down a little bit more, I mean, I guess the, the counter argument here, Jordan is Ross Chastain just did this at Sonoma. He got yep. spun or whatever out of shape, cut right through that turn 11 there. It went straight on and got a good finish out of it. And he d- was not penalized. So maybe, <laughs> You know, if this you're Briscoe, you have, what we said, though, I mean, they, they, there does seem to be some inconsistency when it comes to officiating this year. And what I guess I'm saying, like you, you would actually if you're Briscoe and you brought up the Chastain thing, you would have an argument of like, well, yeah. Chastain just did it. I just saw him do it. He wasn't penalized. Why would I why would I expect to be penalized unless I hear it? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's easy. You know, it's easy when you hear NBC and all the stuff saying you go, oh, he's going to get penalized and it happens and we think he knows and he doesn't. And you say, how could you not know that? But it did just happen to Chastain. Yeah. He got away with it. So I could, I could potentially see the other side of it. I do give Briscoe a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and that I don't think he's a dirty driver and I don't think he would just blatantly wreck somebody intentionally. I do think he could, he sees that as his chance to win and he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes here to get in the playoffs. That's his, That's my, this is my shot. I could see that, but, um, Anyway, so AJ Allmendinger wins instead, probably a race <laughs> that he was not going to win. I think he even said he was like 17th or something, you know, before all the craziness happened. Cars suddenly get taken out like Mario Kart. Um, there's chaos ahead of him. He's in position and um, he, you know, he, he was third behind Hamlin and Briscoe ends up winning the race. Ultimately has no impact on the playoffs. Um because he's not a full-time driver, so he doesn't get a playoff spot. Um, but what do you make of the A.J. Allmendinger second career Cup Series victory? I guess we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, we know A.J.'s really good at road course races. Um, colleague probably doesn't get enough credit for the way they have built their program. Um, they have been very good at, at picking races that suit their skill set, super speedways, road courses. 
and they have knocked out top 10 finishes consistently. AJ had a top 10 earlier this year at the Daytona road course, had a speeding penalty in that race, probably would have finished better than that. He's been competitive in other road course races this year. So I don't see why this, this isn't a shocking surprise. I wouldn't even call this an upset. It doesn't feel right. It's a good driver and a good team on a racetrack where they expect it to be good. And it certainly bodes well for their program coming up next yeah. year as they move full time. It's going to be different cup series. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I just think that, um, you know, look, they, they've clearly laid the groundwork. They've got, they're going in the good direction. Yeah. It's sort of reminiscent of, um, Spire winning before they thought they were going to win. You know, although in this case it wasn't like a rain delay or something. I mean, he ended up going and taking it when the circumstances unfolded, unfolded for him. Um, but I think this is the kind of thing where you could see this, you know, going forward. It's a good sign for people like um, an Almondinger or a Chase Briscoe or a Cindric. Um, and, you know, of course, I poo pooed your Briscoe pick uh, last week and he almost ended up winning. So I guess I should at least owe you a half apology um, because, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a, an interesting era. It's tempting on one hand to say, well, road courses are going to be dominated by like uh, Elliot or Larson or something. But, and I think they're clearly the fast, the fastest sure. cars there, but this is NASCAR where the fastest cars don't often win and where there are crazy things that happen and where there are only in NASCAR events that occur. And so when those things happen, um, drivers who are really great at road courses can find themselves in a position to be successful and make the playoffs. I mean, if Almondinger had been running full time, all of a sudden the, the playoff picture would have been upset yet again. If Briscoe had won, it would have been upset yet again. And I really think that's going to create a new dynamic because, you know, I, I think in the past with, with so many ovals or, you know, there's less opportunity unless it's like a fuel mileage race or a restrictor plate race. Those are really the only wild card races. Now, in a, in a way, all road courses races have the potential to be wild card races. And that really changes things. Like that really makes a team need to win because had like had Briscoe won today, Harvick would have been the next guy on the cutoff line. If somebody else wins at Daytona or Michigan. And so it really makes you be like, Hey, I don't care. You're, you're really not going to be, you shouldn't expect your way to, uh, to be able to point your way in anymore. Um, no. with the amount of road courses, with the amount of different winners that there could be potentially, it doesn't mean there's going to be, because Larson was going to win this race, right? Yeah. But we saw not- like a Christopher Bell today, or a Christopher Bell earlier this year, win at Daytona. And yep. he went out and took it. So I, I agree with your point. I think it's going to be interesting, not only the impact that this has on the regular season going forward, because you have more road courses now, and it's showing that it, there's guys who can step up and race their game, like an IJ Elmendinger with Colleague Racing, and Austin Sindrick is coming in next year. You've got Chase Briscoe. But these are guys, too, with big teams, potentially. You're going to build fast race cars. And also look at too long term big picture where those next where the drivers are going to be coming from you know for a long time it was USAC right you know sprint car racing and silver crown racing and that was kind of the thing and then there's been a resurgence in the last few years of kind of the grassroots guy you know who races on the local you know paved racetrack and they've kind of come their way up kind of like the Daniel Hamricks of the world you know Denny Hamlin is that way right and I think you know Ernie Francis a guy you've written about I think it's going to be interesting to see if he's now a guy who gets a better shot at this because the next gen car is going to be a game changer. Supposedly um, that car is supposedly supposed to be very similar to a trans am car um, or, you know, also a GT car. Are you going to see guys now coming from road racing backgrounds and say, you know what, I'm going to go over there. And I know a handful of times a year, I'm going to have a shot at winning on a road course. 
and I might be able to make the playoffs, and then I'm going to figure out the oval stuff along the way. That's a fair point. Um, Jordan, before we move on from, from the indie stuff and, and we could talk about the doubleheader as well, but what, what's your take in general about like these, when, when we see a race like this, that's that we, we end up saying, Oh man, that was just a crazy circus, chaotic race. Wow. What a wild, wacky event. (laughs) Like I understand what Clint Boyer's point about that gets people talking good or bad, but is that good for NASCAR? In your opinion, is that good for the sport? Uh, yes, but with the caveat that there is a line. And I don't know what that line is, but you don't want it to turn into a clown show, as you said. Um, you don't want it to be an embarrassment. You don't want it to be, I think, fair to say, go back to last week's IndyCar race in Nashville. The first half of that race was not good. You know, and that kind of oversteps that line you want controversy you want excitement you want like you want those oh my god i can't believe that happened moments good or bad sometimes <laughs> you know um you need those you need people to talk you need people to sit there at the this is going to sound really old old and cliche but you want the water cooler moments where people are like oh my god did you see that nascar race and that whatever happened you want those social media moments so I understand what Clint's saying on that. Now, you also don't want to overstep and then have people laughing at you and become a laughing stock and be like, oh, look at those NASCAR guys again. They can't stay out of their own way. So there's a line. I don't think that line was crossed today, though. I think it was really? – it, it came. I think it came really, really close, and maybe it was towing it. Maybe it had like a tow over it. But I, I don't know. I was – I wasn't completely offended by it. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought, again – 90% of this, what was it, 90, 95% of this race was darn good. And yeah, the last the last part of it was bad, and it was it was goofy. Um, I, I wish it would have been managed differently, but I don't think it's, I, I don't know. I, I've seen a lot worse. I've seen a bit a lot more offended by things. I thought I thought it went over the line. Um, I, I'm not going to say it was like a black eye for the sport, but it, it, it goes back into those sort of just embarrassing type, events where you're just like oh my gosh like this shouldn't be this shouldn't be how the cup series is like i hate to see the i hate to see it reduced to this i really do and i i see tons of people on twitter who are calling me no fun and like wow you have you know no sense of humor you can't enjoy things or party pooper kind of stuff like i see all that but i agree there i think nascar has now built this part of its fan base to just expect the entertainment and they don't care if cars get torn up. They think it's hilarious. It was the people who were on the Hill jumping up and down and laughing as Logano went into the tires and stuff. Like you could see those people in the background. Like that's, it just, that kind of makes me sad. I like, where's the respect for what's going on out there? Like, again, these people are elite talented athletes and the best at what they do to make it to this level. They are driving cars built by brilliant engineers and talented crew chiefs who work and work and work and take time away from their families to come up with this, these amazing machines, like I said earlier. And then you put them out there and you put them in these situations that just, it just bothers me, man. Like, I just, I don't want to see it like this. I want it to be like this great competition of the best of the best. And sometimes crazy things happen, but like to just be like, ha ha, that was great. Let's get everybody talking about that. Oh, what another wacky one. 
that shouldn't that shouldn't be this way. Like SRX can pull that off because it doesn't take itself seriously, but NASCAR still takes takes itself seriously enough that you want it to be like a true major league sport, not not some sort of just circus show. Like I said, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I'm just really I'm telling you, like this one Oh, I was just bothered by this today. I don't know. Maybe it's just being at Knoxville and seeing sort of the opposite in a way of like, I'm not saying it's pure good racing because they designed their format to, you know, put on a show like they sort of penalize um, some of the good drivers and make them work for it. Like they do an, an inversion after the heats and stuff like that or after qualifying. So, you know, it's not that, but I mean, it's just such a, such a departure. I don't know. Let's, before we talk about Knoxville though, um, how I, I, I didn't watch the IndyCar race. I, I was busy at the track all day. Um, Saturday. How, how did you think that IndyCar race went and how was the dynamic of the IndyCar drivers and NASCAR drivers, uh, going together this weekend? Race itself, pretty uneventful. Will Power won. Alex flew. Uh, I always say his name wrong. Palou? Palo. 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 I, I'm terrible at names. I apologize. Um, had an engine failure. And lost his point lead. It really wasn't that exciting a race. The field got pretty strung out. There wasn't a caution for a long time. It, it wasn't the most exciting race we've seen here, especially if you go back to recent road course races in India, they've been pretty good. This one wasn't. In terms of the uh, interaction and everything going on with NASCAR and IndyCar here, it was great. It was off the charts. Um, I saw, you know, Daniel Suarez was hanging out in, in Pato Awards uh, pit throughout the whole race. Wasn't just there doing like a quick blow by. He was there watching intently the entire race on a screen. Um, the interaction among guys was, was great. Um, I, I had a couple opportunities to hang out with Ryan Blaney as he was kind of walking around a little bit and seeing his interaction. And, you know, he, he's been at one IndyCar race before, but that was eight years ago. And this is the first time he's really got an up-close look at it, the pits and everything. And he was like, he was kind of marveling at it. So it was those kind of things. Like it was really cool to see, and it was cool to see the drivers interacting behind the scenes. You know, Austin Dillon and and Felix uh, Rosenquist, they did a seat swap and those kind of things, and that was neat. And it felt like a big deal. It felt like this weekend, and this is what I'm going to write about in the Athletic. It felt like a celebration of motorsports, of two big series, the two biggest series in North America coming together at, at the most hollowed, famous track in the world at Roger Penske's place, it felt cool. It really did. It felt like a big, big event. Well, that's great to hear you say that. I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. And I think that that alone can justify NASCAR staying at the Brickyard, um, no matter what circuit they're running. Um, if they keep doing these double headers, I think it's great for all motorsports. Um, you know, exposes fans of both the different sides like we've talked about. Um, I think it's wonderful. So I'm, I'm totally in favor of that. I'm glad that that worked out that way. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, let's talk about the, was it a good race poll just before Knoxville as well, because I want to just put a bow on, on NASCAR. Um, unfortunately, uh, another, another W for me, um, last week, take a 14 to 10 lead and clinch the regular season title, blah, blah, blah. I know. I'm sorry. But this one, Jordan, is going to be real tricky. Real, real tricky. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I have to go first on this, so I'm going to kind of tip my hand. I feel like there should be two polls for this race, by the way. <laughs> I, I honestly think this could be pretty close to 
I think there's pretty strong opinions on both sides. I mean, I personally would think, how can anybody say this was a good race overall when it ended the way it did? Um, but I think there'll be a lot of people who will say, no, I, like I said, I mean, I saw people on Twitter saying this was, oh man, this was so entertaining and they only care about the entertainment. They don't care about, you know, the rest of it. So, you know, stages one and two might've been good enough also to justify some of that. Um, it certainly was a crazy finish. I don't know. Maybe you could, uh, it might get up to 60%. Yes. I'll, I'll go with 60%. People always surprise me. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what people are going to vote in this thing. I know people a normal race. I don't know what people are going to vote. And then you're throwing this wrinkle into it. Like, come on. Like, I don't know. I don't. I'll, I, I'll say fifty-five. I have no rhyme or reason. I'm just going to say fifty-five. And if I win, if I win, great. If I lose, which will probably happen, I don't care. This is stupid. <laughs> so you've gone. You've gone from just. You know, when you lose like seven weeks in a row or whatever, like you have, well, I you lose know. because like on, on races, Atlanta, New Hampshire, Watkins Glen, like they're terrific races and people are voting down for whatever asinine reason. I'm sorry. I'm out. You keep guessing lower than me though. You just guessed lower than me again. Cause I overthink this damn thing. I'm done being optimistic. I don't know. I don't know. This is stupid. And I know much right. time and thought. Yeah. I, yeah, that's fine. So um, let's talk about something that made me happy, which was being at Knoxville this weekend because, <laughs> um, man, just uh, unbelievable. Like I, I just, you know, I kind of went there. I, I went there for, for two years in a row, my first couple of Knoxville Nationals. And then I was coming back this year after a year layoff because they didn't have it last year. And I'm thinking, oh, man, like I, I hope I didn't build this up too much in my mind. You know, like maybe it was real. Maybe I just had better memories of it than it actually was. And like, it's going to be somewhat of a letdown when I get there. No, not the case. Total opposite. Like it was better. Like I just had such a good time. First of all, like shout out again, once again to the dirt racing community, not just, not the drivers, you know, their families or whatever necessarily, but just the fans in general, like just the most welcoming, nice people. I, I remember going to my first, like, big dirt event. And I'm thinking, Oh God, like a lot of people are maybe going to be standoffish or be like, what's the NASCAR guy doing here? You know what I mean? Like, why is, why are you coming here to do this? Or what, like, what do you even just go back to NASCAR kind of thing? Total opposite. Like they see you have an interest in it and they want to like help you learn about it. And they're like, thanks for coming. Cause the thing about the dirt community is they know their racing is great. They know they have an entertaining product. They know they put on amazing shows and a fun time. And they're excited to share that with someone else. Like everybody feels super stoked about it and they want, they want other people to be able to enjoy that. And so like that feeling carries through all of Knoxville, like, um, Blake Anderson, the racing announcer, he was saying to me yesterday, you know, like the, every single person here, there's nowhere else in the world they'd rather be than right here, right now. And like, I totally believe that. I think that's completely true. Like people are just having such a good time. Uh, the event itself is, is fantastic. Everything that surrounds it, um, you know, the music, uh, afterwards, the, the, the parties, um, the racing's great. The, the drivers are walking around and accessible to everybody. It's just, it's just awesome. And the racing, like, I mean, gosh, the race last night was fantastic. The crowd was absolutely electric over 20,000 people sold out, super into it, super like just 
amped up and loud, like cheering, like at a concert, um, for the drivers, every move, like it's just, I'm telling you, if whoever like is listening to this, go to Knoxville nationals, put it on your bucket list. Um, you, you, if you're a race fan, you will have a good time. Go for all, all four days. Um, you know, it's just, it's just great, man. Like I, I hope you get to cover it someday, Jordan. Um, I just, uh, I think everybody should get to go experience it. It sounds incredible. And I think it's, it's taken on the status of one of those major races in the United States. You've got the Indy 500, the Daytona 500. I'm not putting in that category, but I don't think it's, it's kind of like that next tier, if that makes sense. And I think it's a big deal. And I, and it's, it's incredible to me to see the, the passion and the excitement that the Knoxville nationals resonate with people who aren't really even sprint car fans. And I was having conversations today with people who said, they're like, Hey, I, I'm into, I'm into racing, but I really wasn't into dirt racing, but I saw everybody talking about this and I decided to order the pay-per-view and that's what they did. That's cool. You, you, you know, we talk about events on this podcast a lot. That is an event and that, that's what you need. And the format is, is conducive to what it does best. Is it, put, it tests drivers. It puts them in uncomfortable situations and makes them race hard. And you, you know, you don't have a fluke winner there. You've got the best of the best going after it. And when you got a guy like Brad Sweet, Sweet a couple of years ago, or a guy like Carl Larson now, or you know David Gravel, these guys are these guys are deserving winners, and it, it's impressive. And I think the bigger picture, I think it. We said in this podcast last week, this is Kyle Larson's year. I mean, it's this is his year from winning NASCAR major races to winning NASCAR road course races, which he's never done before. To to now. I don't say he's going to likely win the regular season championship because we still have two more races, including Daytona to go, but he's the championship favorite. No doubt. This is Kyle Larson's year. And it's just like, it's incredible what we're witnessing in in real time. Cause for a long time, there was questions of whether we were going to see Kyle Larson's true potential kind of be fulfilled, um, especially on the cup side. And now those questions have been answered. Yeah. And, and really, I think a lot of the excitement, and, and credit for elevating the status of the Knoxville nationals goes to Kyle Larson because, you know, you, you would have sprint car drivers like a Jeff Gordon or a Casey Kane, um, who made their name in the sprint car world. But, and then once they'd go to NASCAR, you know, they were in NASCAR, they weren't coming back to run Knoxville. Larson is the guy who's actively coming back, um, every year, trying to make it a priority, trying to talk about dirt racing and he's making dirt racing fans who had sort of abandoned NASCAR. He's making them watch. They're, they're interested in it because of him. And he's making NASCAR fans interested in dirt racing. He's an incredible bridge and ambassador between both series, um, between grassroots racing and the top level of stock car racing. Um, it's incredibly important to him. He wants to be the best all-around driver. I wrote in The Athletic, my column, I think he may be the best all around driver in the world. I don't see anybody else who is going between series right now. Now, does that mean he's the most talented? I don't know. Lewis Hamilton, maybe he could jump in something else. I don't know, but Larson is doing it. You, you, you talk to the people in the sprint car world. He is the best sprint car racer in the world. There's people from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Canada, you know, all the stuff he is, the guy. And whenever he shows up at a sprint car race, he's the guy this year. He's won his second straight chili bowl. He's the best midget racer in the world. He's been going to dirt late models, which he had really no experience in until last summer. 
and he he just won one of the biggest dirt late model races, and he's leading the um, NASCAR Cup Series standings. Uh, probably should have won his sixth race of the year today. He's in contention every week. He may be the best stock car racer in the world right now. He's doing it. He is the best all-around racer in America. He may be the best all-around racer in the world. I don't see anybody that can come close. He has elevated himself with this Knoxville Nationals title to the same conversation as Foyt and Andretti. I think what he's doing is unbelievable, and we are lucky to be witnessing it. I agree with everything you said, and your column on theathletic.com I thought was phenomenal. It, it really did a great job of you know, showing why Larson deserves that title, deserves credit for everything he's doing. And I think the one thing about him is, is his willingness to explore other forms of racing outside of his comfort zone a little bit, like a dirt late mile. And I, you know, sprint cars and dirt late models are not similar. They may race on dirt, but there's a lot of difference there. But Larson is willing to go do that and push himself and say, I may fail, I may look bad, but I'm going to go do it anyway. I respect that. And I don't think we see an there are some guys who are racing everywhere. Chase Elliott is one of those guys who's starting to kind of you know, push his boundaries a little bit, racing different things, sprint cars, uh, you know, prototypes are at, at uh, the Rolex 24. But there needs to be more of that. I want you know, it's it's great to see these. You know, the heyday of motorsports was when you saw guys cross over and race everywhere and everything. Mario Andretti would run the Indy 500 and he'd run for a world championship in Formula One. AJ Foyt would run the Daytona 500, and he would run the Indy 500 every year. Those kind of things, you don't have that anymore. Things are different for a lot of different, you know, for a lot of different reasons, times have changed for uh, why guys don't do this, but it, it's a good thing, and I think it needs to be embraced more, and I want to see that happen more often. Well, and one reason it doesn't happen as often is because the disciplines now are so specialized. Like we've seen, it's incredibly hard for an IndyCar driver to come to NASCAR and adapt, and even in dirt. Like Donnie Schatz, for instance, right? 10-time Knoxville Nationals champion, 10-time World of Outlaws champion. When he goes to the Chili Bowl and gets in a midget, he's not a contender. He's not as good um, for whatever reason. He cannot adapt his driving skill in the same way that he is in a sprint car to a midget. But Kyle Larson can. Kyle Larson can get in anything and is fast and wins and beats the best of the best. I see this perception on Twitter of like, well, you know, Larson goes to the minor leagues of dirt or something like that. No, you don't understand. Like these people like who are at the Knoxville nationals, they're professional dirt racers. They make a living doing this full time and put their heart and soul, just like stock car racers do in NASCAR. This is their job. I mean, they're selling t-shirts. They're winning, you know, making their living off the purse. Like there's world of outlaws teams who are, you know, spending $900,000 a year, um, to go race the schedule and Larson shows up with his small team, uh, from Silva motorsports, Paul Silva's team from California, not even one of like the elite teams necessarily. I mean, he has a great crew chief and they beat everybody at the biggest race of the year at the toughest race to win. It is unbelievable what he's doing. I hope that people appreciate it, um, in NASCAR, like what they have on their hands. I don't think that even, I don't think I appreciated it before I started exploring other forms of racing myself. Like when Tony Stewart would go run the chili bowl and be great at it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Tony Stewart's good at that. And he's good at stock cars. Um, Kyle Larson has already surpassed Tony Stewart. There's a tendency in NASCAR to not like greatness 
as we saw with Jimmy Johnson, um, like get bored of it. People, I'm selling, don't get bored of Kyle Larson because what he's doing, we're, we're not going to see that again, uh, maybe in our lifetimes. I, I, I really, I feel pretty strongly about that. It, this is a very unique situation. Um, just judging off how the dirt people feel about him and how he kicks their butt, it, it's extraordinary. So um, it was amazing to be able to see that uh, in person, to see him win his first Knoxville title, a race he he told me afterwards, you know, he, he like literally dreamed about, he said, you know, some people, we all say, Oh, we dreamed about winning this race. He's literally had dreams about, about doing it. So, um, really cool. And, uh, again, I urge everybody, if you get a chance to go check out sprint cars sometime, go check out dirt racing. The racing is fantastic. Um, the, the access, I mean, it's just great. Like when you go to buy souvenirs, you're, and I wrote a story about this is too, uh, with, with um, Kyle Larson's wife, Caitlin selling, you know, she sells the souvenirs direct to the fans. She's selling the t-shirts. Um, you get to go meet the drivers and their families in their souvenir and, and talk to them. Like they're, they'll have a car. They're walking around like David gravel, Brian Brown. They're just walking around the fan zone. People come up to them, you know, like, Hey, how's it going? They strike, they stop, they strike up a conversation with fans. It's not like this mob moving of autographs. Larson walks around. It's, it's, he doesn't have like security. He doesn't have PR people there. Um, it's really just a cool environment. Um, so, you know, go to a world of outlaws race, go to an all-stars race, go to one of these big events. Um, I I'm really quite the convert. If I could go to more, I would. And, uh, I think, I think people would enjoy it. I, I say not, I have no vested interest in it other than I think people would have a great time if they went. So that's, that's my rant about that, Jordan. I don't think that was a rant. That was like a uh, an impassioned speech, shall we say. Um, need a little bit more anger from you next time. You know, do better. I already used that up on my sadness about the state of NASCAR at times. Yes, but uh, well, yeah. you know, this is a doubleheader weekend. Maybe we can get like two Jeff Buck rants. You know, I, I will <laughs> say that. Um, yeah, part of the, part sure. of this too is part of the sort of like the clown show type element at times does come from wacky road course races. And now we are done watching road course races, uh, for most of the season, except for, um, the Roval. I mean, so what is there? Uh, there's 12 races left and yes, yes there's 12 races left. 11 of those are on ovals. And, um, there's only one road. Course. I mean, sort of the summer of road racing has come to an end. Yeah, what I've noticed, and maybe maybe you have too, is there is kind of the old guard driver, the Kevin Harvick's, the Denny Hamlin's, the Ryan Newman's, uh, guys who've been around a long time, who've kind of been in NASCAR when it was a, we race ovals 34 times a year, and we've got two road course races, and that's it, who are frustrated, I think, probably, Um with where NASCAR is headed and they feel like it's almost like a disconnect from what they want it to be to where it's headed in it. You know, Denny Hamlin was outspoken today about it when I taught when uh, myself and uh, Dustin Long from NBC sports talked to him. Um, Kevin Harvick has been very vocal about how he's not happy with Indy going to a road course. Ryan Newman was today when he spoke to reporters. Um, I don't get that sense so much from younger drivers. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I'm not seeing that. I'm not hearing that. But there does seem to be a contingent uh, of drivers who are upset with this. And I think that probably is indicative, too, 
of fans who probably want NASCAR to be a certain way because that's what they're used to. And there's probably a different group of fans who are kind of coming in saying, I like this stuff on road courses. This stuff's goofy. They're banging off each other. So I, I, there's there's a, definitely a disconnect right now. I think it's a great point in that there's a changing of the guard in so many ways in NASCAR right now. If you think about first going to the, the rules package, right? And the entire philosophy of NASCAR racing going from, hey, it's the guys who can hang it out in a loose car and bravery getting into the corner and, you know, driving with their feet, that skill of, you know, outbreaking someone or whatever um, to, hey, let's hold it wide open and sort of draft off each other and stay bunched up. And the driver isn't as much of a, a factor. They can't make as much of a difference. Um, you had that coming in and that brought in, you know, that made some fans angry and brought in a new group who liked that kind of thing. And same with the transition to road course racing that you're talking about. Another group of drivers, that veteran group doesn't like that. They're like, why are we going away from the ovals? Why are we going away from how good things were when we were successful in our prime in our, in, you know, we were around in the mid two thousands. We saw how good things were. It wasn't like this. And, you know, so they, they might be frustrated with that. Some fans might be like you mentioned as well, but then there might be a new group of fans who are like, we like this. We like the chaos. We like the road racing. This suits us. So it, it does feel in so many ways, like NASCAR is sort of transitioning. Um, and it's not necessarily transitioning with like rules changes in, in the sense of like, Oh, the playoffs. Cause that, that was a whole different thing as well. Like that was a whole different generation, but I guess I wish I, I guess NASCAR, I w- wish we get to the point where we just sort of know what NASCAR's identity is and they know what it is. So we can just say, Hey, look, it's either this, like it's either super serious, best competition, or it's just like, Hey, it's, this is going to be mostly entertainment. Let's go have fun. If wacky things happen, so be it. But then you have to drop some of like the serious elements of it. Like you can't, like I said, you can't take yourself so seriously than like SRX did because that's how we enjoyed SRX in the first place this summer was nobody went in going, this is like the, you know, pinnacle of racing. Like, you know what I mean? Um, that's why we, hey, this is fun. So what is NASCAR going to be? I think that's a, a question that NASCAR is still trying to answer for itself. And you still see some, some tug of war internally. I'd like to see that get answered at some point over the next five years so that we just say, hey, this is what they are. And if you don't like this, go do something else. But I, I still, I covered every week. I don't know what they are. And I don't know. I still don't really have a sense of what they want to be. So. No, I I don't disagree. And I don't think we're going to have a sense of what NASCAR wants to be or where it's going until we see what this next gen car is like. If this next gen car is what they think it's going to be, then I think it's going, they, they are going to have a competitive series where everybody, the playing field is largely leveled. You're not going to have the big teams, the small teams. And you can go to a variety of different tracks. You can get away from the intermediate tracks and that kind of thing. And you can put on a more consistent, better product. If, however, that car is not conducive to good racing like people think it may, then I could see a lot more tweaks and twists and all sorts of different, for lack of a better term, gimmicks to, to, to change everything up. Because you're going to have to do something to keep the interest there. And then in that instance, I think you're probably going to, you're, you're starting to talk about the SRX formula. Well, Jordan, before we go, I just do want to give a shout out to our listeners here um, because I ran into some more um, of the teardown listeners at Knoxville and it makes me feel really good because 
you know, people be like walking by literally, I'm not even making this up. Be like, Hey, love the podcast, whatever. I'd be like, Oh really? Thank you. Like I'd <laughs> like, I'd stop expecting to like, like yeah. you want to talk or something. They would just like, keep going. They're just like, Hey, I love the, like they were just giving me a shout, like walking by kind of thing. I was like, Oh, that's nice. And then I talked to some other people like, um, this one dude, Connor Ferguson, he listens to us each Sunday night. Um, and he said that it's sort of like, like he doesn't have a bunch of racing buddies to talk about and us reacting to what we just saw at the race is like talking about the racing with his buddies. Cause we're giving our raw takes on it. And that made me feel good. Cause I, I feel like, you know, we're, we haven't really thought about this much. Like when we, we come on pretty much like right after the race is over, the, the passion's still high. Like the adrenaline's still going from what we just saw. We don't have our thoughts totally organized, so it's not super polished. We haven't thought of the topics of the week necessarily sometimes. I take but, notes. I don't know about you, but I mean, well, I prepare. Okay. Anyway, I, I just took that as a compliment because, um, you know, I think that's, that's what we're doing. We're talking like buddies about what we saw and, uh, it, it makes us feel cool that, you know, the listeners feel that way. Like they're in the conversation with us. That's the goal of this podcast is to just, uh, give our, our quick take on what happened, even if it's a hour long take like this one, but we really appreciate you guys. We'd love for you to subscribe to our work as well, because that's obviously, um, the ads on this podcast are great, but that's not how we, you know, stay employed at the athletic. Um, we stay employed and we are able to go travel these races by, um, people subscribing to the athletic. And the way you can do that is going to the slash the teardown. Um, when you subscribe from that link, both Jordan and I get credit, um, for the subscription counts for us. So, um, we appreciate anybody that does that. In addition to subscribing off the links from our stories, our bosses can see that when you click one of our stories, if you're not a subscriber and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to subscribe today off Jordan's story or Jeff's story, um, that counts for us. So we really appreciate that. Thank you for all those who have done that keeps us keeps us employed, keeps us going and keeps this podcast alive. So thanks so much, everybody. Jordan, good to talk to you. We will be back after Michigan. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time on the Terry.